Welcome to the Next Level American Dream podcast, brought to you by Thompson Multifamily Group. Your hosts, Abigail and Sean, will discuss how you can take your American dream to the next level through real estate investing, business practices, and personal development. Join us as we share our experiences as a father-daughter duo who are trying to accomplish their goal of financial freedom. We hope you learn more about how to define and achieve your American dream. Here's another episode of Next Level American Dream. Welcome to the Next Level American Dream podcast. We have an amazing guest for you today, but first, please make sure you have subscribed if you have not already. We also love getting your feedback through likes, comments, ratings, and reviews. Today, Sean has a conversation with Camilla Jeffs. Camilla has been a syndicator for the last 18 years, and today she shares how she views herself as an educator to her investors. In their discussion, Sean and Camilla talk about how they service their investors and make the process as seamless as possible. If you found any value from today's episode, then please share it with a friend and help us grow. For more information on our sponsor, visit thompsonmultifamilygroup.com to start taking your American dream to the next level through passive investing. Hi, Camilla. How are you doing? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm great, Sean. I'm excited to be here. So let's start by uh, just telling people kind of where you come from and when what you have going on today. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you about my experience in real estate so far. So I, I spent back when I was first married and we were in college and we were young and had no money. We were living in a garage apartment, somebody's converted garage. And, and the, I talked to the landlady one day and she was, and I knew she owned a bunch of properties and, and tried to understand, well, how do you do this? You know, what are you doing? And she, she said to me, oh, well, you should buy a house. And I'm like, no, no, no. You see, you don't realize we don't have any money, right? Like young married in college, it's just not working out. And, and she's like, well, well, yeah, actually you could buy a house that has a basement apartment in it. And then once you, you could live there and rent it out. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting concept. And so that's exactly what we did. We bought a house and rented out the basement apartment. We ended up spending about $150 a month to live there and it had a pool. It was awesome. It was like this giant six bedroom home that we never thought we ever could afford, but actually you really can afford it. If you, if you, if you're creative about the way you go about doing it. So that kind of sparked my interest in real estate. That's when I started getting thinking about real estate and, you know, fast forward 15 years, we had invested in lots of single family homes and small multis launched a property management company and uh, kind of hit a point where I was just scratching my head a little bit thinking, well, what's next? What do I, now what do I do? I've been doing this for a long time, kind of getting burnt out of, you know, of being the landlord. And, and because we were literally like, we were taking our kids to the fourplex and having them paint, having them bust up ice in the winter, like all these things that we were doing. And so I was just feeling like, you know, stuck because we kind of had run out of money. We didn't have more time. We didn't have more energy to keep adding to our portfolio in the way that we had always been adding. And so then I started thinking about, well, I, I think if we could just buy an apartment complex, we should be set, right? We could sell these single families. We could buy an apartment complex. Maybe we'll be okay. But apartment complexes, man, they cost millions of dollars. And I'd never bought anything in the millions before. So I'm looking at apartments, I'm looking at my bank account, like, yeah, there's not millions of dollars in that bank account. So now what do I do? So I started listening to podcasts and reading books about how to buy apartments. 
and realize, oh, actually the best way to do it is with partners as do, do a group investment to get a bunch of people together and we pool our resources and, you know, some people put in their money, some people put in their time and expertise and we buy this and share in the profits. I was like, wow, this is a pretty amazing concept. And so the first thing we did was invest passively into one of these because we're like, well, okay, let's put some of our money into a, a group investment and see how it goes. And it went well. And, and we were, I was excited about the prospect of, you know, my money working hard for me instead of me working hard to make more money. Right. Like it, right. It, it's a pretty cool concept. And from there, I just, got so excited about passive investing. I thought this is the most amazing thing ever. And so I launched Steady Stream Investments, which is my company now. I mean, it's an education company educating passive investors how to get involved in these types of opportunities. And then I go out and vet operators and deals and markets and opportunities to invest through my company. And it's been great. It's been really fun to, to you know, bring a lot of investors in and teach them about it. And I specialize in teaching the first time passive investor, you know, what it's, what to do and what all the terms mean. And, you know, just really do focus heavily on education. Yeah, I have this conversation a lot with people on, especially on the podcast is so many people are super comfortable with investing in Wall Street product, right? So stocks, bonds, mutual funds, because that's all they kind of know. And most people don't really know that there's this whole side of alternatives that you can invest is, you know, some people invest in coins, some people invest in oil futures, you know, all these different other alternative type investments that you don't hear about other than because your financial advisors aren't selling mutual funds, you know, a, to yeah. you outside of that, that's all they're going to bring you, right? they don't make money. They don't make money on any of these alternative investments. So why would they ever suggest it? Right. So there's these millions and millions of people that are invested in the, in the markets that don't know that real estate is, is a possibility for them with their, their IRAs and all the investment capital that they have, they can put into, into real estate. So educating people on, on the fact that it's even just possible to do this, first of all, and then how to get involved is, is a big thing. And I, the other thing about real estate is real estate's a very fundamentally simple business. You buy, a, you buy an asset, you improve it, you make more money, and you sell it for more money, right? Or you, or you cash flow it for more money. It's a very simple business, but the complexity in there is, is quite a lot. And becoming an expert in real estate to, just to make a $100,000 investment, it doesn't make sense for someone to spend a decade trying to learn all the complexities. Yeah. <laughs> of, of buying and owning a multifamily property just to make their $100,000 investment. So like you said, vetting sponsors, someone like me that goes out and hunts for deals and finds opportunities, you know, finding those people is, is, is complicated for just the, the average person. If you're not connected in the network and yeah. finding those sponsors that you can work with four or five guys or whatever people out there doing deals, you know, you don't know who to go to, right? So, so having you as a conduit to, to sort of make that happen is, is a great thing. So you find some, so how do you, how do you reach passive investors and, and what's the process you go through with them and, and how do you kind of show them the path? Yeah. So, I, I mean, the first one, how do you reach passive investors? So I do that through a lot of online marketing, really like social media is, is my best friend to find more people love LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a fantastic place to connect with, with people who might be thinking about investing and who might be on that path and, right. you know, 
And, and I especially love to help women to get involved in passive investing because the, the amount of women who invest is few, but women make really good decisions about in, in their investing and they do really well once they get involved and understand it. And so that's one of the things that I'm passionate about too, is just helping other women and, and more families to really invest in this type of investment because it, it's so perfect because it, it helps you keep your time, right? You get to keep your time, but you are making your money work so hard for you and a very, you know, a lot more recession resistant uh, asset class than say the stock market. I mean, I was just talking to uh, someone the other day and they were telling me that, well, I have this old 401k that I might want to invest in real estate, but you know, I, I, you know, my husband's not really excited about that. Plus the stock market went down. And so if I take it out now, now I've like lost money in the stock market. And so maybe I need to wait for it to come up. And my response to her was, this is why I don't like the stock market very much because right. it's such a guessing game, right? Because you're like, well, maybe it'll go up or, you know, and then it goes up and they're like, well, maybe it'll keep going up. And so it's just, it's such a guessing game. Whereas I feel like real estate is just more solid and, and predictable. Right. And, and I'm all about comfort, predictable, predictable, predictability. Is that even a word? I don't know if that's a word. Yeah. Predictability. Yeah. I'm making up my own words. Predictability. <laughs> that's the one you're looking for. Um, yeah. 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 And then, you know, how do I educate them? So once people find me through, through that, then I have a whole, a full system that I've built out. I mean, I have videos that, that helps educate, but I also have, you know, weekly information that I send out. I'll write up blog posts and post those on there. And then I hold webinars and I have um, webinars twice a month that are live with me that you can come and attend. And it, it'll, it'll be on a specific topic that has to do with the investment uh, that you would need to know as a passive investor. And it's like 20 minutes of this topic and then 10 minutes of Q&A. So you can come and join me live and ask questions and, you know, and help and help do that. And so you know, it's just, it's just a process. Once you hear about it and you're like, Oh, what is this? Then you, you need to spend the time to get educated because you don't, I don't want anyone making a decision to invest just based up because I said so, right. Because I said, Oh, this is a good idea. Right. No, I want you to feel comfortable with that. I want you to, right. to do the research and to feel comfortable with it so that you can. So when it, when the time comes that you're not just blindly investing, that's not the goal. Yeah. There's, it's, it's quite a simple thing. You just, essentially you just, someone can just give me money. I go buy a property and we hopefully make more money. Right. But it's that mm -hmm. hopefully that you, that's the problem, right? you want to make sure that you're, you're getting into investments or working with people that have sort of vetted that property and done all those things properly. And you, that's what you're showing people how to kind of consider what's a, what does a good investment look like? What does a good sponsor look like? What do these things look like so that they can make those decisions for themselves? It's really not that hard. If you find someone that's out there doing these successfully, you know, you essentially just give them the money and they make more money, right? That's kind of the concept, but there's a, there's a little bit that goes along with that to make sure that you're, you're satisfied or happy or comfortable with the risk that you're taking because you're, you're essentially buying into a business. You're, you know, apartment operates as a small business and you're buying shares in that small business as, as a limited partner or an investor. And so making sure that you're, you're happy with that investment, because it is a, a longer term, you know, commitment that's illiquid and there's some, some downsides to it, but it, it's a, a tremendously good hedge against volatility for sure. Like you were saying, like the market is up and down, you know, real estates tend to be, or, or at least multifamily tends to be a little more linear and consistent. So it's, it's really good. 
So what are some of the things you look at, like market or sponsor? Who, who, what, is, what kind of th- those, those processes as well? Maybe, maybe let's talk about the market that you like. Yeah. So I go through a whole vetting process before I ever, you know, offer an opportunity to anybody who's kind of in my system. I go through this vetting process. And so I, I you know, I start with the market and the market is crucial to whether or not your investment is going to go well. Now, some markets are more forgiving than other markets. And, you know, you can make money in any market. I'm not going to say that that you can't make money in, in certain markets. You know, even in markets where people are moving out of, you can still do well in real estate as long as you know what you're doing. However, if you invest in a market that is growing, that has really great population growth, really good job growth, job diversity, is landlord friendly, like the, those four factors are going to make a big difference in um, whether or not your, your property does fantastic or if it just does good, right? And so for me, when I look at markets, um, some of the markets that I really love right now and that I'm investing in currently today is the Arizona market. So Phoenix and Tucson are both really great cities to invest in right now huge population growth, really explosive job growth happening there and, and really great diversity of, of jobs. People love living in Arizona and I lived in Arizona for a while. I didn't love it to be honest, but other people love it. And it's a great place to, you know, to raise families and to, and, you know, and it's nice weather, right? Well, except in the boiling hot summer, but right. it's nice weather other than that. And so it's a really great place to invest. So that's where I love to do. I invest in most large multifamily there. Oh, another market that I really love is Oklahoma. And in Oklahoma, it's different from Arizona. It doesn't have the explosive growth, right? It is growing. It does have population growth, job growth. It has The job diversity has really improved in Oklahoma. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, it was mostly oil and gas and farming. But now they have, you know, they've done a good job of incentivizing tech companies to come in. Like Google has two of its main data centers, two of its five data centers are in Oklahoma. And so it's a, it's a strong market, but it's a really strong cash flow market because prices yeah. there aren't as high as like Arizona. Arizona, we're paying premium for properties there. Oklahoma, we can get in for, for you know, a lot lower price it Has a, and it has a big, big yield in there from how much they're, they're paying. So for example, it's more affordable for the tenants too. They're only paying about 25% of their income toward rent in the Oklahoma market as compared to like Phoenix, where it's a you know, good 30%. So I like those markets for two different reasons. So after I choose a market. Then I start hunting for strong operators in that market. And for strong operators, I'm looking for a couple of things. So number one is track record. Have you done this before? How long have you been doing it? What has been, you know, tell me about a deal where uh, it, things went well, right? Where you had your projections and you, you overshot your projections and you sold it and, and things, you know, you did it to that. But also tell me about a deal that things did not go well. I want to know what happened or what what decisions you made when things started to go south how did you take care of your investors if things if things didn't go according to plan how did you communicate that to investors because my job, I, I feel like part of my job is to advocate for passive investors, especially because first timers are coming in. This is their first time. They don't know all the questions to ask yet. They haven't gone through cycles. And so really my job is to protect their interests and make sure that they have the, the right information coming down to them. So that's what I want to understand from sponsors. And then the deal, right? Third is the actual 
deal. So as it comes to me, I take a look at it. I'll, I will do all, I will do my own underwriting on it just to understand what's going on with the underwriting. I try to dig into the business plan and vet whether or not there is you know, if they say they're going to raise rents $200 a door, well, could, can the market support that? And so I do vetting on that and just really dig into the, the opportunity and, and how it works. And so those are kind of the three, three things that I, the process that I go through before deciding to, you know, jump on a deal. Are you, are you concerned with property type at all? You do like, are you looking for a specific door count or a product or a property style or anything like that? Is that something that's considered as well? So the, the type I, so looking for large multifamily, just because they, they right. are much more efficient to run and, and again, more forgiving of mistakes with just the economies of scale. So looking for large multifamily, a specific like style of multifamily, you know, I like the garden style better than, you know, just the one giant building, but I haven't found a big difference in those. So yeah. So the garden style more so than like a mid rise or high rise or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. What are some of the things you have coming up in your business or what are some of the things you have going on that are kind of future forward? Yeah. So, so for 2022, kind of the strategy for 2022 is, is to invest in fewer, more quality deals is what I'm, what I'm looking for. And so I want to invest in, in kind of, and bigger ones as well. And so just really looking at, I've already said no to like eight deals in January, but because I want to have a really solid quality opportunity for, for investors to, to come up. And so that's what's on the, on the plan. So to do like four or five deals. So have about one a quarter that that's ready for investors to take a look at. And then also just, you know, expanding asset classes a little bit too. So right now I'm mainly multifamily, but I have one assisted living new construction project that we, that we broke that ground on late last year. So looking to do another one of those, another new construction assisted living, but then maybe expanding into self-storage or industrial or, or things like that. And just looking and evaluating the different asset classes. So what's sparking your interest in getting the, from multifamily to the other, to the other asset classes, like you're saying? Just diversification. Diversification. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like I, I like to be diversified and I like to I like to just understand the different asset classes and the different things that you can that you can get from multifamily and in self-storage. And multifamily and self-storage are very similar. Industrial is a little bit different. Assisted living is is very different because you're not only having the real estate, but you have a whole healthcare operations business on top of it. Right. But it can be a very lucrative investment if if run properly. Yeah, that's the funny thing about real estate is that you have, they all sound the same, but they're all run very differently in terms of the, the operations for sure. You know, you don't run a warehouse like you do a, a apartment building at all, no. yeah. completely different, but they're both real estate, right? So fundamentally on the front end of acquisitions, it's kind of the same. It's underwriting, but you're underwriting to a different business plan, really. So, it, you know, buying those deals is is good, but it's understanding the outcomes that, that become a challenge, I would think, right? Yeah. Yep, for sure. So Camille, let's talk about, so you, you mentioned earlier vetting sponsors and things. So part of that comes with that is, is partnerships, right? So you're essentially going into business with these guys and buying, you know, properties and, and, and operating those properties. What do you look for in partners and, and, and so what are some of the successful components that you've seen in your partnerships that you have now? Yeah, well, 
so partnerships that was it was really hard for me in the beginning to be honest because i spent 15 years in diy mode right and then i realized right. if i really wanted to get into apartments i've got to be open to partners but here's the problem i remembered group projects in school <laughs> And right. you know, the girl right here had to do everything herself and all, everybody else could just freeload off of me because I was the one who cared about the work, you know, and, and I'm thinking, well, if I can't trust, you know, five people to write a research paper together, how can I trust other people to run a multi-million dollar acquisition? Like it was, right. it was really hard for my brain to accept. And then also right? I, it was relinquishing some control because I had control over every piece of my business up until that time. And now you're going to step into a partnership and you don't do everything. You don't call all the shots. And, and sometimes you call hardly any of the shots. Sometimes you're, uh, you know, the, you know, the lowest partner on the totem pole. And, and so they'll listen to your voice, but you don't get to make any of the decisions. Well, that's, that was interesting for me. And I, and I was just super hesitant about it. You know, again, we, I invested passively first, cause I felt like that was a little bit, you know, okay, I, I could rely on these people, but again, the trust factor, I remember, you know, I was investing $50,000 into this deal and it was, it was people I had just met a couple months ago, right? I had, I didn't know them years and years and years. And so it was kind of a little bit of a leap of faith for me. And I remember, you know, hovering my hand over the mouse to send that money. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope this goes well. Right, <laughs> just, yeah. just being so stressed about it because I had never done anything like that before. So I feel like that helps me have a lot of empathy for first time passive investors because it is, it's a lot. It's a, it's a big, it's a big deal to invest $50,000, right. right? The first time you, you part with that much money and you're handed over to someone else. It's just like, oh man, but here's the funny thing. What, what people don't realize is they've already been doing this for years and years in the stock market, right? right? Like how much money do you have in the stock market right right now? And I bet a lot of people have over $100,000 in the stock market and you've just handed that off to someone else to manage for you, right? So same concept. You're just going to put it into a real asset that you can like touch and paint and feel, right? <laughs> yeah. So it was it was really interesting with the partnerships. And, and then when I decided to become a general partner, so, you know, the in the group investment, the limited partners are the passive investors. Like they, they don't have a say in what's going on in the property, but then you have the general partners, which is typically a group of five to six people, depending on how big the deal is. So I decided I wanted to be a general partner and then all these crazy things in your mind about, well, does it, would anybody want me? Like, am I even good enough for this? You know, uh, yeah. like what can, what do I bring to the table? So you have to get really clear with yourself first about what skills do you have? Where do you think you can play in this general partnership? And in my mind, there's four main roles. There's the acquisition specialist who goes out and finds the deal. There's right. the underwriter who loves to do spreadsheets. There's the capital raiser person who is you know hel helping to raise, to bring money to the deal. And then you have the asset manager. Now, that's not always clear cut like that, right? Like typically all the partners will help with raising capital. You know, some of the partners help with asset management, with acquisition, but those are kind of the four main roles or skill sets that are involved in a uh, transaction. So which one of those 
is good for you? Which one of those was good for me? And, you know, as I looked at them and I tried them all and I learned all the skills that, and, and that you would need to do all those, I really settled on, you know, raising capital as probably my best skill set. And then my second best would be asset management because I had so much experience in real estate and, you know, running my own property management company. I felt like asset management would be good for me to help run, you know, be able to manage the property. And so I'm like, okay, now I know I'm clear on what, on what I can offer to a team, but have I raised capital before? No, never done that. <laughs> have I yeah. asset managed before? Nope. Haven't done that. So it, it's this barrier to entry that, that gets tricky for a lot of, of people who want to become a general partner. Like it, how, how can I, convince a team to basically hire me to be one of their partners. How do you go about doing this? And so it just turns into a lot of networking, a lot of networking. And so for me on the capital side, I'll tell you about my big failure. Do you want to hear my big failure? Sure, yeah. <laughs> the first time that I that I tried to, attempted to bring capital to a deal. And I was networking with a lead sponsor and they said, okay, I got a deal. Do you want to join? I said, yes, I want to join. And he said, okay, let you need to you know, bring five, at least 500,000 to the deal. I'm like, oh yeah, I got this. I got this. Cause I had been talking to people for a long time for, right. you know, good six to nine months about what I was going to be doing, you know? And most people I talked to were all excited and interested. They're like, oh yeah, that sounds cool. That yeah, sounds cool. Yeah. You know? I'm like, okay, great. So I, you know, put them on a list on email list. And then, and then when it came time to launch the deal to the email list, I launched it to the list and, you know, I was supposed to raise 500, one person invested $50,000. So, you know, Grant Cardone says to 10 X yourself, like I negative 10 X to my goal. Right? Yeah. Like, went the wrong way. Like, yeah, with the wrong way for sure. And I was just so devastated. And I, and it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't just as simple as I just, you know, sent an email and only one person responded. I was calling people, I was scrambling, like I was doing everything I could to try and get people to invest in the deal. And it just did not happen. And so I didn't end up being able to join as a general partner. Just, it was just this complete failure. And so I kind of hung my head for a week or so and just said, you know, and, and it was a pivotal moment for me because it was a moment I could have just quit. And right. like, I guess I'm not good at this. You know, I get, I guess it's not for me. It caused a lot of anxiety, a lot of emotion, a lot of, you know, the angst about get doing it. And I could have just stopped, but then I took a step back and said, well, maybe you can learn from this experience. And so right. I was looking at what did I do? What were the, what were the missteps that I made because really, you know, if you look at something, if you, if you fail, it's, it's kind of a gift to help you learn the right way to do it, you know, cause now you've done it the wrong way, obviously. Right. <laughs> and now, now what's the right way. So I took a look back at what I had done different and what I should do different in the future. And kind of the number one thing was probably my mindset about it because I was so desperate to get in a deal to, as a general partner and to like have that, that I was just focused on myself. I wasn't really focused on the passive investor and their journey and what they needed to really understand. It was more like, give me your money. Like, come on, man. Right, like you said you're right. interested. Why don't, why aren't you investing? You know? And, and so it was just a whole narrative that I had, I had, I had given the wrong narrative to passive investors rather than saying, you know, what I said was, 
hey, come on, you, you, you should invest in this deal. Like, it's really awesome. Instead, I, I should have come came at it from, hey, I have this opportunity for you, right? I don't need your money, but I came at it from a scarcity mindset. Like, I need you, I need you to do this instead of an abundance mindset. So I was able to switch that. And then also I learned really quickly that just because everybody's interested in real estate doesn't mean they're actually going to invest. And so what does that mean? Well, did I give them proper education? Did I, was I emailing them once or twice a week with more information so they could really fully understand what they were getting themselves into? Because like I said, $50,000, $100,000, it's a lot of money to part with, especially when you've never done it before. Right. And so I really revamped my whole education thought process and focus. And I created like an investor onboarding system. So when somebody comes into to my fold, they are going to be put through a process to learn everything from A to Z. Like I created a series of videos that walks you through the process from beginning to end and what you need to know and understand. And then I have very robust like newsletters or you know things that I, that I send out. I email them every other week. They're hearing from me about this new, you know, what's going on in this market market and, and it's all story based and just really uh, robust way of helping passive investors feel that get educated so that they will convert in the end that in the end they will actually feel comfortable and invest in in a deal yeah I think everybody wants to be a real estate investor on some level right so I've been in real estate for a while and almost everybody I talk to about what I do they're just like oh my gosh I wish I could do that right I rarely yeah. meet someone that's like, oh, my, you know, I've, I probably know two or three people that I've talked to in the last decade that said I would never do real estate, you know, and and I've talked to thousands of people. And th so everybody, I think, fundamentally wants to be a real estate investor. But when it comes time to put the money on the deal, it's scary. Right. And if you don't have the information, like you're saying, if you're not you know, educated about good market, the good deal, the good sponsors, the good, you know, the good partners, all those things. If you're not sort of comfortable with that, if you don't know, like, and trust that deal or those people, you're not very likely to, to invest, right? And when you're coming at it from, like you said, you're early on, you were just like, we talked about this, give me your money, you know, that's just not adequate, right? It's not, it, it's, it's not giving people what they need in order to feel comfortable. I think people fundamentally want to be in the deal but they have to overcome those hurdles of, of fear. Right. And, and, mm -hmm. and trust of, of that, that it's going to work out. Like you said, when you did your first deal, you put $50,000 down and you waited thinking, I hope this works out. Right. Cause you don't really know. You just have to feel comfortable enough to make that commitment. And so I think what you're doing by onboarding and teaching and, and educating everybody on the process and what you're doing and what they're going through and all those sorts of things is, is critical to just help them through the process. Cause they want to do it probably, you know, even the, even the people that said no to you first time may have come back around and said, okay, now that I got it, now that I understand it, now that I trust you, I'm ready to go. Right. Did you find yeah. that was the case with some people? Yeah. I mean, there's a happy ending to this right. to the story, right? Like the, the, the failure, the big failure taught me really big lessons. Right. I made some big changes. And then the next time I went to, you know, raise for a deal, I raised more than 500,000 for that deal. And so it was, you know, it was a big lesson and a very exciting to see that, you know, you just have to come about it from the right, the right mindset and the right focus. And, and then people will invest in your deals. 
So how, how did you discover that path? I mean, you, you, you said, okay, I failed on this first deal. What was the, what were the steps that you took next? You, you, I guess you just assessed what you had going on and what you were doing. And then how did you kind of find the, the tools that you need to make it better and improve? Or did you just create that yourself or, or did you find some resources for that? Oh, I found resources for that. So I did join a mentoring program to, to help with, with it and to, to be able to get the um, information out and, and create the system. So there's lots of tech tools that I use to, to help with it, with it also. But yeah, uh, the mentoring program made a huge difference in, in what I, in being able to shift it into the right mindset. Yeah. So the resources are out there. You just got to go look for them and, and put them into play. If, if someone was, was wanting to do what you do or learn what you have learned, there's tools out there that, that can be uh, utilized for that sort of thing. Yep. That's good. Sure. And so I guess you talked about you're going into different asset classes and things like that, but are you, are you working on your education programs? Or are you doing some more things like doing newer webinars or new topics or mm -hmm. kind of what are you doing on the yeah. education front? Yeah. So the, on the education front, I mean, we've launched, how do you say it? Bi-monthly? No, I don't think that's right. Twice a month, we, twice a month, we have a, a free educational webinar for anyone who wants to join. And I advertise yeah. that on LinkedIn and Facebook and, you know, and of course to my email list and it's a 20 minutes, just, just a quick 20 minute webinar on a specific topic followed by 10 minutes Q and A. The one I have coming up this week is all about cap rates, what those are, because if you're a single family investor, it's not something I never thought about as a single right. family investor, right? And and now all of a sudden, multifamily, they're like, well, what's the cap? I remember calling my first broker and he's like, well, what cap rate are you looking for? And I didn't even know what cap rate was. I'd never heard the term before. So like good a good one. one, but yeah, I, I had no clue what that was. And then I looked up cap rate and cap rate is, it is a interesting one because it's a little bit tr tricky to understand because it's an inverse relationship, right? It's, it's an inverse relationship. So cap rates go down. That means the price of your property goes up. And sometimes that's hard for your brain to like crunch. So talking about cap rates, but not just like what they are and, you know, but why is it important for a passive investor to look at a cap rate to understand what cap rates mean, right? Because you, you need to understand, well, if they're buying at this cap rate, what are they thinking they're going to sell for and what's the cap rate in the future? And so, and why is that important to have a difference instead of have the exact same cap rate? So we're going to talk about that at that, at that webinar, but other webinars I've done, and I throw them all up on my YouTube channel too, after I, after I do it have been how to vet a deal, right? How to vet a sponsor, how to vet a market, all, you know, all these things to, to that will just really help passive investors um, get comfortable with the concept. So I have that kind of education for passive investors. The other education I'm working on actually for active investors is, is done for you investor onboarding system. Well, cause I learned pretty early on that you've got to have really robust system in place. And so I'm working on a passive investor onboarding system. So you can just, it's something you can just grab and plug and play into your business as well as like done for you newsletters. So as I know, we all know, we got to you know, email our people. And then you sit down and email, you're like, oh, what am I going to say? I don't know what to say. <laughs> you know, like this blank canvas that, that people really struggle with. And so I, you know, and they're all customizable so you can rebrand them to your brand. So that's something else that I'm, that I'm also working on. Well, that's awesome because I was thinking, as you were saying that earlier, that I was going to have to talk to you offline about your onboarding system. Cause that sounded phenomenal. We do a something similar, <laughs> but not, it doesn't sound nearly as cool as yours. 
So I was thinking in my mind, as you were saying that I need to talk to Camilla after we get off this podcast about how she can send me her, her onboarding. So now you're doing it. That's perfect. I'll just, I'll just subscribe to whatever you have going on. It'll make, make it easy. Sounds on me. great. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. So Camilla, I ask everybody on the show, you know, the, the name of the podcast is next level American dream. And, uh, you know, I think that the American dream of the past is kind of gone, but I think the American dream is alive and well. It looks like a you know, million different things. Now, a lot of people take different uh, paths to the American dream. So what does the American dream mean for you? So the American dream for me is just pure freedom, you know, yeah. in, in multiple yeah. facets of life. And so, and, but here's the thing, it takes work to get freedom. You know, if you want to, if you want to have a, like a healthy body, for example, so you can feel free to run and jump on the trampoline and go skiing with your family and, you know, do all these things that requires physical effort. You've got to work on, work on it. Right. And right. you've got to make sure that you're, you're putting in the work and the effort to get there. Just like if you want to have the freedom, you know, if you want to have financial freedom, takes work, takes effort, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's things you've, you've got to do. You've got to put in the work to be able to get there. It doesn't just magically happen, although everybody wishes it would. And real estate is the opposite of get rich quick. It's get rich slowly over time. And that's why I like real estate because it's such a steady, strong asset class that, you know, more than 90% of the world's millionaires have real estate in their portfolio. So success leaves clues, follow the clues, follow the steps of those in, in front of you. And, and you'll be fine. But I mean, all sorts of just the American dream for me is just freedom for sure. Freedom. Yeah, for sure. So how can people kind of find out more about what you have going on and reach out to you? Is there like a website people can go to, to get more information? Yeah, really easy. CamillaJeffs.com is where you can start. And that could navigate you to SteadyStreamInvestments.com too. And then connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm probably the most active on LinkedIn and, uh, and Facebook as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm really easy to find. Not many people in this world are named Camilla Jeffs. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just re reach out. I love it. I, I Just this week, I had someone who reached out because they heard me on a podcast. And I just I just love it to connect with people and happy to, to do one-on-one -on -one strategy calls with your with your group too. Yeah, perfect. That sounds good. Well, thanks for coming on, Sharon. You have a lot of jewels in there, uh, a lot of good information, and uh, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, telling everybody about what you have going on. Yeah, thanks so much, Sean. This is cool. fun. And we'll talk to you soon. We'll have you back, maybe do some uh, deeper dives on some of the specific things, maybe, or something like that, but we'll, we'll talk soon. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Next Level American Dream. If you would like to learn more about what we talked about today, want to contact the team directly, or interested in passively investing and being a part of our deal room, head over to our website at www.thompsonmultifamilygroup.com. Before you go, please leave a review. Your comments help us create more episodes for you to enjoy.